1: Welcome back to another episode of Create Your Shot. This is a New Year's Day spectacular and Smalls. We have a great interview. Max Hooper, former college basketball player at Oakland, St. John's, and Harvard and played in the G League for a little while. Didn't talk so much about his G League career, but did talk about a lot of his college career. Talked about transferring, you know, a guy played at three schools and then we, you know, kind of talked about his father and the role that he played in his life. But when somebody's right, Smalls, I, I used to not want to admit it, but Matt Langle was right. And having former players on the show has been really awesome the last couple of weeks. You know, like with Peyton Siva and him, we've had two, I think, in the last month. And they just provide some different perspectives, you know, and, and, and talking to Max, he's getting into coaching, taking this year off and kind of going around the country. He's going to end up being an assistant at Brewster right as the New Year starts, Brewster Academy. But really cool, man. Like really interesting perspective from a former player who's now getting into coaching and starting from the bottom.
0: Yeah, Matt Langle really did make this podcast a lot better. I think people are noticing that I'm asking one question at a time and not asking four. So shout out, Matt Langle.
1: You are doing that. Even when I write on the prep sheet, yes. multi-part questions, you yes. only ask the I'm first only, part. So only I'm
0: asking right. one question. I'm like Ron Burgundy right now, and I'm breaking it up into one question. I'm like one question, Ron Burgundy. But uh, to talk about Max, I mean, you're totally right. Former players, uh, you know, they give you different insight. And also what their journeys kind of maturing into. Are they at the end of their careers? Are they in the middle? What are they looking to do next? How are they entering the coaching industry? I think for Max's story, you know, he's trying to figure it out right now. He did, you know, a month of like visiting or, you know, a time period of visiting a lot of different areas and trying to learn the coaching industry. And now he's going to go back to Brewster um, where he played as an assistant and try to develop those skills. And also we talked so much about the on the podcast about it, but grow your network. He's literally networking. He's networking and learning at the same time and trying to do the things people are telling him to do. And I think it's awesome. And Max's journey is one that I think is going to lead to good things for him. Uh, and hopefully he enjoys the profession and, you know, learns a little bit about, you know, the tougher side of things, but also still enjoys what you get out of it in terms of, you know, kids going on to graduate, the fun times, the fun games, practices, and all the kind of good stuff that goes into uh, coaching.
1: Yeah, I was pretty impressed with him talking about how his senior year went at Oakland. A lot of, I mean, a lot of guys that listen obviously know that he, you know, 257 shots his senior year, they were all threes. It became a pretty big story, but you know, dealt with some very different personal adversity. You know, his father battled cancer for a bunch of years and, until the very end. I'm sure people remember him being at Oakland for Max's senior day and getting to hear him talk about kind of his dad's impact on his life and presenting the first Chip Hooper Award this year at the Billboard Music Awards, but also kind of talking about how he had a, you know, kind of a longer road in college to getting to a situation that fit him correctly. But having a senior year that he felt like was the what he had worked for. I thought that was awesome. I I think guys don't often talk about, you know, getting what they want. Everyone's like, oh, we got to get better. We got to work really hard. And Max does talk about that a lot, especially, you know, playing. uh, I think he was in in Westchester, played for some other G League teams. But, I mean, he talked about how that senior year it was very worth it for him, you know, to have transferred multiple times. And then we also did talk about how transferring is viewed because it seems like it's kind of split. The media wants to talk about how it's an epidemic and it's not okay and you know, you need to stick it out or whatever. And we talked to Max about like one, why he transferred kind of the decisions that went through his mind. And he said, like, he was the one smallest that had to look in the mirror and be like, am I making the right decision? I'm going to walk away from an Ivy league education because I got to play basketball. And And it's just not that simple. You know, it's, it's just not. It's, and I was
0: not, it's, it's never that simple. And I think that's you know and, and it's unfortunate so if i'm a, if i'm a player and i'm transferring i can't really tell my whole story ever in the moment like maybe you can go five years ten years and you want to hop on the Career your shop podcast and tell it. but in the moment everyone's looking at like oh this kid didn't play and like he, he just he's transferring like what a baby he should wait it out but no one knows what that player is going through in that moment, whether it be his personal life or actually at the school and within athletics So, to me, how can like, this is great perspective. Like I want to get more of these guys on that maybe had a couple transfers because I want to understand what goes into it. And we judge even, you know, me at some points, but you know, the media definitely judges people on transferring and why when listen, they're doing it in terms of, they're making the best decision for them most of the time, I think, and that's my opinion.
1: Yeah, and also, like, the idea that at 17 or 18 years old, you know 100% what you want to do, and that you know that you got yourself in the right situation is just, we, we shouldn't be judging, just because someone's a college athlete and they have a scholarship, we shouldn't be judging them differently than, you know, somebody like you or me who made a bunch of dumb decisions when we were 17 or 18. Like, it's just, a, it's to me, it's 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 just wrong, but like I said, I mean, having former players on has been pretty interesting. So we have, a, uh, we've booked a couple more in the future and, you know, some potentially big name guys that were high, high, high level players. And I think those perspectives and what they do after they play, kind of like Mo Massacoy, we talked to, you know, not everyone's John Linehan where you get in, you start coaching or you have a great overseas career. And so it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, one kind of sad note I did want to talk about, uh, and and a lot of listeners of the podcast do know this guy, but, Dennis Gregory, uh, who was an assistant AD at Caldwell, used to be the dobo at Rutgers. Worked at Hoop Group for a lot of years. A guy that I worked with at Live and AC uh, for a bunch of years passed away uh, Friday night, and uh, real, just really, really sad. A guy that was, you know, really a New Jersey basketball legend. So, you know, for our listeners in the Northeast, Mid Atlantic, you have certainly crossed paths with Dennis before. But just wanted to, you know, shout out, rest in peace to a to a legend of the game. Just a guy that was around a ton and. Gave a lot of guys opportunities, somebody that I worked very close with. So super sad. And I just wanted, you know, people to know that create your shot was, was thinking about Dennis and his family and his friends, because it's really sad when you, you know, you lose somebody close to you and somebody that touched a lot of different lives. I think in the basketball world, smalls and I were just talking about how he was talking to smalls about, you know, running a different event and going through smalls company, but life is short. So as always, when we talk about stuff like this, you know, hug your loved ones and, and, you know, take time out of your day to look at some people on your phone maybe that you haven't talked to and just tell them you're thinking about them especially on a new year's day i think people get very uh what's the word smalls
0: reflective yeah there's some there's some word that's way too complicated for me wist wistful maybe retrospective there you go (laughs)
1: there you go is that it Yeah, I don't have any. You might've just made up a word. Introspective. Introspective? We're, we're very stupid. And that's because we use humor to uh, make light of situations. But I do seriously mean that, you know, take some time if, if, you know, maybe somebody helped you when you were younger in your career. You haven't talked to them in a little while, you know, shoot them a text let them know you're thinking about them because life is short. So I just wanted to uh, shout out Dennis Gregory and just tell him, you know, rest in peace from the Create Your Shot podcast. But Other than that, I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season. Conference play is getting into swing. So I'm sure people are in the office 18, 20 hours a day or on the road recruiting, trying to figure out how to get better. So as you do that and you listen to Create Your Shot on road trips, leave us five stars, write us a uh, review. Same deal as always. If you do that, you send me a screenshot of it and send me your address. I will send you a Create Your Shot koozie free of charge, no shipping, no handling, no nothing. Uh, we are Create Your Shot on Twitter, Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and create your shot at gmail.com. Reach out to us if you like what you hear. Let us know. This Friday Pick and Winners episode is going to probably be, as the kids say, lit because the Eagles made the playoffs and Smalls has probably not stopped drinking since the end of the game last <laughs> night. So we will certainly talk about that. We will also talk about Andrew Daddy Vegas Bart heading out to Clemson to watch, or heading out to, I believe, Santa Clara to watch Clemson versus Bama in the national championship. He has a Southwest flight that requires him to change planes like 76 times (laughs) to get out there, but that's what you do when your guys play for the national title. So I think this week's episode is going to be great. As always, I am on the underdog NBA show with Zandrick Ellison. You can hear me cry about John Wall's season ending surgery. So Things are going great for Smalls with the Eagles. Things are going great for Bart with Clemson. And, you know, one of the only teams I care about, 160 million Supermax superstars, is having season-ending surgery. So things are going well in the Lori household. But as always, thanks for listening and uh, enjoy this week with Max Cooper. Welcome on, Max Hooper, former professional basketball player and college player at Three Stops, uh, most recently Oakland, but St. John's and Harvard as well. Most guys, I would imagine that listen, do know him from his time at Oakland, but it's December 26th, so Max, we know you're trying to get into coaching, so I respect the grind of hopping on with us the day after Christmas, but uh, how are you today, man?
2: I'm great. You know, I'm just at home. Uh, I'm actually in California, so I'm enjoying some some nicer weather today, but enjoying some family time for christmas but like you said back to the back to the grind very soon you know i'm tr- I'm trying to get into it so need to get after it
1: so yeah we actually normally we start at the beginning we would start at high school and work our way to where you are now but i think one of the reasons that it was so interesting to get you on is that you, you know you you have stopped playing and the way it was explained to me and you can clarify this at all because our guy alex varland sometimes things get lost in translation is that you're taking this year off and kind of going around to different colleges with different coaches or high schools and and learning, you know, a little bit of the craft. And then next year you're going to try to dive into coaching.
2: I mean, can you explain sort of what this year has been like for you so far? Absolutely. It's been, uh, you know, I worked, I worked extremely hard this summer planning on playing in the, in the NBA G League, actually. I was was planning on that and some, uh, some contracts fell through certain things happened and felt like I've, I've worked way too hard on my game to um, settle for, you know, contracts that didn't really make sense. And, and I've always known that I wanted to get into coaching ever since I was probably in high school or maybe before. I knew I'd always end up here one way or the other. So I felt like I gave playing everything I could have. I exhausted every option and turned over every stone. So when that happened, kind of had a reflection moment and then just told myself, you know what, it's time for me to pursue pursue coaching. and through that with the same enthusiasm that I did playing. So I decided that, you know, kind of late in November or so, early November. So it was too late to get on with the team that season. So I figured, how can I invest in myself and make this time worthwhile? So I, I know a lot of people in college basketball, in the NBA. So put together a travel itinerary, bounce around, travel, visit, pick people's brain. But then after that, um... After I just finished all that traveling, I was on the road for about a month. I just finished that, but I am going to go coach at uh, the prep school I played at Brewster Academy. I'm going to go coach there in the new year. So it'll be a good mix of uh, bouncing around and learning from people. But then I'm also going to get in, get my feet wet and get into it and coach at Brewster. So I'm very excited about that.
1: Max, one of the things we've talked to, we obviously have a lot of college coaches on here just because of what Smalls and I's background are. And we haven't had as many NBA guys because we like to joke that the NBA, it's like the CIA. They don't want to let anyone in on their secrets. But are you specifically targeting targeting college jobs or are you also, you know, would you be OK working in the NBA or you don't care where it is as long as it's a good
2: situation? Everyone asks me that and I just tell them, hey. I don't have a job right now, you know. I don't have an opportunity yet, so I can't be picky. Um, I I would love to do either. I'd love to coach in coaching the NBA. You're coaching the best players, or even the G League. You know, you're you're coaching guys who are trying to get to that the highest level. Or, or but then college, you have a chance to really get involved re- re- with recruiting, get on the you know on the grassroots front, and really mold some some young players, which you might ha- not have the opportunity to do in the NBA. So. I just say I want a, I want a great opportunity. I, I don't want to close myself off to either one. So I'm, I'm excited about either.
1: Where have you traveled to this year so far? You said you were on the road for about a month. How many different places did you go? How many different coaches did you sit with? How many different teams? You know, not, not to the number, but like where were some places you went that, you know,
2: were really good and, and what did you learn, you think? Yeah, no, I'd love to lay out the itinerary, I guess. So I, um right after thanksgiving I, I hit the road and I, I traveled to um these are just coaches i've known throughout the um, my playing career and um a lot of them i got to know from from my childhood with uh my dad would my my i guess i'll take it back a little bit more but my idol growing up was jj Reddick, like college jj Reddick. that was my idol so my dad and i would travel to the uh duke basketball kids camp and uh did that for a few summers and just being around those camps I always uh you know I was always like one of the better players so my um my dad would speak with the coaches and then we just kind of built relationships with the Duke coaches so as you see that as I list them off you'll see a lot of them are former Duke coaches but it's it's been a, it was cool I, I visited Ohio State I, I went to Marquette I went to Northwestern um a very good friend of mine Jerry Brown he works at UTEP now so I went down to UTEP. I went to uh you know, Central Florida, UCF. I went to L S U and then I went to uh I finished up at the G League showcase to get uh pretty much everyone in the NBA was there, so I didn't need to do NBA stops. I just saw everyone there um uh, one stop shot. So it was pretty pretty uh great travel and just saw practices, games, you name it. It was really great.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to take it a little back. And you mentioned you're back home in California and you're visiting family. So you're originally from there, but you end up playing at Brewster Academy, which you're now going to have the opportunity to help out and be an assistant and coach for this upcoming new year. What was it like for you coming all the way across the country to a prep school like Brewster? It was cold. <laughs> That's the adjustment for sure. Yeah, it was really
2: cold. Um, I, I, I consider myself well-traveled um, before that. My, my family's my mom's side of the family is from Minnesota. My dad's side of the family is from Chicago. So I was kind of used to the cold a little bit, but living in it is a whole different story, I'll tell you. So
0: New Hampshire was
2: cold and
0: go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And I, I also, I just wanted to ask you because When I think about like college coaching and things like that, the the guys who have played and been recruited, they have the leg up because they were in that recruiting process. I want to ask you, what was your recruiting, you know, like before prep school and then once you were in Brewster? Yeah, it
2: was. Well, I I played high school. I finished my senior. I played my senior year at Modern Day High School in Orange County. So I was I was getting recruited. Um, I was definitely getting, uh, because I had, I had very good grades and good test scores. So I was getting the Ivy League looks, the Patriot League looks. And I was playing on a modern day team that was loaded with a bunch of guys going to the, uh, Pac 12. So I had a bunch some of these kind of random schools, high majors just flirting with me, knowing I could shoot the ball at that level, but not sure about the rest of my game. You know, Rutgers, Notre Dame, and Syracuse were all kind of flirting with me. And then, um, Funny enough, uh, a Syracuse assistant at the time, Mike Hopkins, who's a modern day um, alum, he came to me and said, how old are you? And I said, uh, I'm 17. You know, I'm, I turned 18 in February of my senior year. At this time, I was 17. He's like, dude, you have to go to prep school. You know, and on the West Coast, I was like, you know, I got these great grades. You know, I got good test scores. Why would I go to prep school? He's like, you know, you've got to go get an extra year. You know, most of the most of the freshmen coming into college are either nineteen or twenty. So that was his recommendation to me, and that really opened a world to me that I didn't even know existed. Being on the West Coast, maybe nowadays guys do it, but back when I was in high school, it, it wasn't even really on my radar. So I decided to go there, and um. My recruiting kind of went crazy when I went to Brewster. Yeah,
0: that that tends to happen, especially – I just feel like Brewster, the northeast uh, school area, just so much more access in terms of those Ivy Leagues and those Patriots that you were kind of talking about. It's, it's just a short drive, and I'm sure that opened up doors. Smalls, let me jump in for a second. Max,
1: obviously, Brewster, you're going to get an opportunity this year to coach, you know, like Jalen LeCue, Terrence Clark, who's one of the best 2021s in the country. But when you went to Brewster, you, you said you're leaving a team – like modern day that had a, a bunch of high major guys who was on the roster when you went to Brewster because they have, you know, five to eight high major guys and like 12 scholarship players pretty much every year. You know, how was it integrating with the guys that were already there or the teams they put together for
2: your prep school year? Yeah. At modern day, like I said, I think there was four high major guys there, but then at Brewster it was like, all right, there's nine high major guys. Yeah. So it was uh, and, and more size, more athleticism definitely was a step up. But the, the, I guess the, the studs on that team were, at the time, Jakar Sampson, who's bounced around in the league and who I'm still very close with. Um, Mitch McGarry, who is not in the league anymore, but, you know, was a first-round, first-round pick. First-round draft pick, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, a kid who was a sophomore at the time but is now on a two-way with the Oklahoma City Thunder, Deontay Burton. Yeah. So we had three NBA players on that team, and then a handful of other guys went to big schools, Pitt, Rutgers, Kansas, Villanova, you know, you name it. So for me, that was just, that was the challenge I always wanted. You know, my my goal as a player from age four in the backyard, watching Michael Jordan play, was playing the NBA. You know, that was always my goal. So I I wanted to play at the highest level possible at every level, you know, at high school, college, you you name it. So for me, that was just exciting because I felt like a lot of these guys, all were super athletic you know could really get to the rim but i brought something unique and i was really the only catch and shoot guy on that team so i kind of stood out like a sore thumb uh i but i guess in a good way you know being the the catch and shoot specialist and, and it worked had a really successful season didn't didn't ultimately win the uh, national prep championship but we, we lost three games that year And and i have memories for a lifetime from that year so I'm, I'm really grateful for that year
0: so max you end up committing to harvard and playing there for a year what it went into that decision to commit and play and attend such a great academic institution like harvard
2: people whenever people ask me that i say harvard it's harvard man. yeah it's just yeah it was it was really hard for me to say no to that um even though in in retrospect, you know, you can see things a lot clearer and you can see there's a lot of guys at certain positions, you know, a lot of catch and shoot guys. So the playing time didn't come early. And I was just I was just enamored by Harvard. Um, I was already in the Northeast. So it was a natural transition. I was uh, Harvard was on the brink of going to their first ever NCAA tournament. So that was definitely a selling point. And it was hard. It was really hard to turn down, even though I had, um, you know, my ultimate home. Oakland University was banging down my door. So you always look back. I don't have any regrets, but you always look back and kind of think, what if? But uh, Harvard was really hard to turn down, you know, in terms of committing. What
0: what ended up being, you know, maybe the decision, uh, the decision to leave. What factors kind of went into that for you?
2: I won't get into the complete nitty gritty on that one, but uh, but you know it was. I played two minutes as a freshman. I played two minutes the entire season, so I I I think I I have a lot of perspective to offer. You know, kids. uh, You know, in the future, like, hey, if that playing time doesn't come, you know, you got to work your butt off because I was I was in the gym, I was on the gun every day, five hundred makes every day, um, doing everything, and uh, still the minutes didn't come. So, but that was just a matter of having experienced guys at my position and and at the time just just wasn't a good fit basketball wise and otherwise it just just wasn't a a positive year and I had certain certain things going on in my life family wise that kind of resonated with that year and I just kind of wanted a clean slate and a fresh start so I it was kind of a bold move to leave Harvard but I, I feel comfortable with every decision I've made and and I, I'm the one who has to live with it, so everyone can say what they want. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable with, with where I'm at and how my path's taken me. So it was a tough decision, but at the end of the day, I felt like it was best for me. I,
1: I lo- I'd love to talk about transfers for a little bit, if, if you don't mind, Max, because like, it feels like right now we're in this time, especially in the media, where it's like some people think it's a transfer epidemic. I'm not as concerned about it personally as a younger guy. I think coaches are allowed to leave. Players, if they find better situations, should be allowed to take them. How, how do you feel, how do you feel, what do you, do you think transfers are treated fairly in college basketball? And then I guess like for you saying like you can offer perspective on it, like what types of advice would you give to kids in a similar situation? Because we do have this whole like, you know, Doug Gottlieb saying it's a huge problem. John Rostein's tweeting about Rui Hamushimura like staying and being a good player. And then there's other guys who are transfers that, you know, these guys at Nevada are having an unbelievable career and they're ranked in the top five right now. So like, where do you stand on that? max and do you think it's unfair to guys that end up transferring
2: i think it's important for you as a player to figure out what you want you know because a lot of guys go to the harvard situation or go to a situation similar to that because harvard you can take there's no limit on scholarships in the ivy league so you can, mm-hmm. you can go to a school like that and a lot of guys say you know what basketball has kind of come to the end of the line but i got into harvard you know through the vehicle of basketball so i'm gonna use that degree so they choose not to transfer but for me i I needed to go play i had to go get minutes i've worked way too hard on my i I felt like i had worked way too hard so i think the transfer thing is relative to each person it just depends on what you need and what you want and you know if you leave you, you have to go sit out that year so i think If you want to leave, you really need to look in the mirror and say, is this worth missing an entire season? Is it worth, is the situation I'm going into worth it? Or is it just a situation where the grass might be a little greener on the other side? And in terms of the treatment, I think sitting out the one year kind of puts the, pumps the brakes on certain people. I don't think it should be people, you know, going to four schools in four years. That'd that be kind of ridiculous if it could be just a free agency free for all. but. I think transfers are definitely there can be some negative light on but at the end of the day everyone needs to do what's best for themselves and find a positive situation.
1: Yeah, I I kind of feel that way too Max like it's it's amazing that people want to comment on a certain kid's situation like that they know right away what's going on in your dorm room. And I understand like people seem to think like you know AAU coaches have a, a you know a, a hand in it or high school coaches or whatever but like ultimately Max like in your situation You're saying it. You're the one that had to look in the mirror and be like, okay, is this right for me or is it not right for me? Because I have to live with the decision to leave school and go somewhere else and sit out. And so you ultimately end up at Oakland. And I think people followed your career, especially your senior year. You end up making you shoot 257 threes. Those were all 257 shots. But you mentioned that they really wanted you out of high school. You know, how did it kind of come full circle that you told Greg Campy like, all right, I'm coming. And you end up playing on a team with. Martez Walker was a transfer. Sharon Dorsey Walker was a transfer. I can't remember if Kendrick Nunn was eligible. Maybe your senior year he was. But like you end up with all these transfers and a really talented team. Like, How did that kind of come about?
2: Well, the Greg Campy thing, I mean, they they wanted me from the get-go. They wanted me from before my high school senior year. But So they were – I mean, he always – he tells the story. They recruited me out of high school. They recruited me out of prep school. They recruited me out of Harvard. And then I went to St. John's and transferred from there. So they recruited me four separate times. Um <laughs> and I just feel like I mean it was getting kind of ridiculous at a certain point, but it was like um I was like, all right, you know what? I I've gone to the I've gone to Harvard, you know, gone to the highest academic level. I've gone and played at St. John's, the high, you know, big east highest basketball level. It's time for me to go to where i'm really really wanted and and that taught me a lesson for sure you know you got to go where you want it in anything and it's definitely hard it's easier to say that um on upon reflection it's really hard to say no to a harvard degree and to having your home court be madison square garden when you have opportunities like that so ultimately i end up at oakland and every year greg campy has a if he has a guy to do it, he has a rule on his team. He wants one player to shoot 10 threes every game. And he wants that player to make uh 40% of them. He wants to make at least four threes every game. And he feels like that's what he needs for his offense. So as a three point, if it's a catch and shoot guy. If that's not enough to entice you to go, I don't, I don't know, whatever would be, you know? <laughs> um, so that, that was his selling point. Just that he, he, he prides himself on having a catch and shoot guy. He's, He's run, you know, the same type of sets for twenty years. You can go back and watch twenty years of Oakland three point shooters running off the same screens, and they still work. They still get you open. And it was just a platform for me to showcase my hard work. I invested way too much time to spend my college career sitting on the bench, and ultimately, I feel like all all the stars aligned during my senior year, and and had a had a great year. There was a culmination of a, a whole lot of hard work.
0: We we had a pretty good uh shooter on our podcast and you know I'm friends with him. Obviously went to a school that I coached at his name's Mike Dunn. Are you a better shooter than Mike? And should we host a possible contest at some point? You gotta
2: put me on the spot, but as as a shooter, you gotta have the ultimate confidence. I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Absolutely. You have to have the it. ultimate confidence. I have a ton of respect for Mike and uh what he's done. He and I actually crossed paths. Quite a bit in nashville i i I got into the gym with him a bunch and I was i love his enthusiasm he's he's up he's up before a lot of people go to sleep honestly he's up at two three a m in the gym working you i mean you, you can't do anything but commend a guy like that, but he and I got in the gym for a bunch of five a m workouts it was it was all just him rebounding for me, so i can't say I've ever shot against him, but i'd love to do it one of these days he's a, he's a really good man I have a ton of respect for him and he just works his butt off, and I, and I think it's really going to uh, lead to something very positive for him. I think he's got the Instagram social media following, and just trying to figure out how to channel it. You know, trying to figure out how to how to make it do some good in this world.
0: You you mentioned uh, you know the workout. How how do you or how do you specifically working out uh, in terms of shooting and your roles on different teams throughout your career?
2: Well. Like Tyler said, I was—I definitely got known just because of that senior year, um, nationwide. Two 257 threes, mm-hmm. uh, two hundred fifty-seven threes, zero twos. So people always ask me, "Oh, do you even work on anything else? You know, do you, uh, <laughs> or do you just shoot the whole workout?" I mean, for me, a lot of it was working. Well, okay, let's let's rewind a little bit, and um, we'll rewind a lot actually. In sixth grade, all right.
0: I'm hit. Uh, wait, I'm hitting the rewind button. Yeah. Hold on. All right. All right, we're good now. We're good. Yeah. We're back. In
2: sixth grade, um, <laughs> there was a church gym near near our house and they happened to have a, a shooting machine, a gun in there. So I would just hop on the gun and just, just shoot. Just shoot, 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 shoot all day long. And then um I got to uh Brewster Academy, we had a gun, so I and then Harvard St. John. I was always shooting on the gun and I always was like spot shooting was just knockdown. But what really took it to the next level for me was at Oakland. At Oakland, Coach Campy's calling certain plays, and you you have to run off screens and sprint and stop on a dime. You know, for like Kyle Korver esque. So, I really had to work on getting open more so than than getting than knocking down the shot. So, a big thing for me was working on how can I put myself in the most off balance position, like practicing shots where I'm literally falling down, or practicing shots where I'm. My stomach's I'm laying flat on the ground. I have to pop up and catch and shoot, so I was doing a lot of different things like that um and and at towards the over the last two three years it it really became very little just spot catch and shooting. It was all super off balance off the dribble, anything like that and I worked on other parts of my game. I worked on my ball handling um I definitely tried to work on my defense by playing one on one with Anthony Morrow every day. He and I would play one on one at the end of every workout in the summers when I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I tried to work on all those sorts of things, and I think being able to get the shot off rather than just make a, a, a on balance stationary catch and shoot was was the biggest hurdle for me to to get over. And I and I finally did that my senior year. As you gear up for the biggest game in the NFL season,
0: Podcast One is teaming up with the Underdog Network to be your one-stop shop for all things football. As the big game draws closer, Chris Horwadel is joined by the Dan Patrick Show, Dan Eds, for their NFL postseason analysis. I I, I don't disagree with you. This could be one of the ugliest games of football of all time, uh, which the Jaguars (laughs) were already a part of one of those against the Colts this year, so we'll see if they replicate that. Check out the Underdog Network and the Dan Patrick Show every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey guys, it's time to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsors. Whether, you're, whether you love the action in sports from college football, bowl games, NBA, and NFL, and more, or you love movies and TV with the Oscars and Golden Globes, betonline.ag has something for all types of interests. Sign up today for a free account on betonline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1 to receive a 50% sign-up bonus. Yes, a 50% sign-up bonus. Also take advantage of the Refer a Friend program where you can give a 200% bonus to your friend up to $200. Go online or use your mobile phone to sign up today and try in-game live betting where you can participate with all the action with every play. Use the promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% sign-up bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts.
1: Guys, also got to talk about another sponsor, True Car. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date. That time you hit a goose on the Pennsylvania Turnpike when going to work an AAU basketball event. The luxury package you got after a big promotion. Haven't had that one happen yet. Or the mileage you save by riding your bike all summer. While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car's worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar.com, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions, navigation and moonroof, watch as your value shoots up. High mileage, you already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today. True cash offers not available in all areas. Now, back to Max Hooper. Do you feel like, you know, when when you get into coaching eventually, are, are you the type of guy that would focus more on what you just talked about? Or are you the type of guy you think you can look at a guy's shot and make little tweaks to make him a better shooter? Like when we had Mike on the show, he he specifically talked about, like, hand under the ball was the most important thing to him. For you as a guy who's, you know, taken tens of thousands of threes, that's probably even a lower number. What What's the most important thing to you? Uh, when you look at somebody's form or somebody's shot.
2: Yeah. And actually at St. John's, I tracked my shots in the shooting machine. It was a hundred thousand shots during just my red shirt year alone. So. Are
1: you serious? You two out yeah. of a hundred thousand
2: shots? while you were shooting? Yeah, it was, it was on the gun. I think it averaged out to like over 365 days, like 250 something makes every day. Not that I was shooting every day, but it averaged out to that. Wow. So I just go in 500 um, every, almost every night. But uh, anyways, as far as the shooting thing, I think a big thing for me getting into coaching is going to be using my shooting and trying to be a shooting coach of sorts, or at least a shooter whisperer or something like that, you know? (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. So for me, it's always, my form is unconventional. Um, And, you know, a lot of like thumb flick, left-hand thumb flick, a lot of uh, very little knee bend. I don't really use my legs. I mean, very little, like not that I can jump, anyways. But um, just so I, I, think I'm really gonna need to dial it in and figure out how I can best teach. Because, I, like I said, I just decided a month ago I wanted to get into coaching. So, Mike has certain principles that he's he's developed, and I, I think that's through trial and error. You know, working with kids, working with players, and seeing what's what works for them. For me, I think it's gonna be a lot of the mental, the mental side of it. You know, shooting is, is such an art form you really can't think about it too much cuz once you get in your own head i think that's that's that'd be the best defense <laughs> you know you'll never make a shot if you're in your own head so for me i definitely have to dial that in and figure out what i want to teach because teaching someone the way i shoot would be pretty tough cuz i i wouldn't even know i don't even know how i shoot sometimes cuz sometimes when i look at my form in a picture i'm like that's ugly but you know when when you shoot a high percentage No coach has ever told me to change anything. So that's something I'm going to have to think about and don't necessarily have a great answer for you on it yet. But I'm excited about that. Excited about doing some experimentation.
1: Well, I think the mental part of it's pretty interesting, Max, because we talked about this, like you dealt with some different adversity, you know, throughout your career, whether it be on the court, but then off the court, you know, the stuff with your father, I know probably weighed super heavily on you when you were in college, you know. How did you feel like you were able to separate, not necessarily separate, because I don't think anyone really separates, so I don't mean to misspeak like that, but, you know, focus and dial in mentally, especially when you were playing and having such a great senior year. You know, were teammates responsible for that? Were you really mentally tough yourself? You know, how did your coaches impact you, if that makes sense? Because I do think we tend to view athletes in this one lens that, like, when they're on the court, this is who they are without knowing anything that's going on off the court. But the actually... At Oakland, you know, kind of the rest of the world got to see a little bit of what you were dealing with your senior year. How, how do you feel like you handled that, and and what kind of advice would you give people who have to focus, you know, and kind of block out some of the stuff going on in their personal life?
2: Yeah, and to give to give listeners a little bit of perspective for those who might know me, I'll give a little backstory. Um, my uh, my father was was diagnosed with cancer in two thousand eleven and it was a very serious form of cancer. The prognosis was not, was not too good, um, but he, he did a lot of treatments. He did a lot of different things, and he, um, he was really getting over a hump towards the, the summer before my senior year. He was really excited. He had all, his, um, all, the, all of his travel planned out to come to as many games as possible. And then two weeks before the season, he had a, he had a stroke, Related to the cancer, and that was a really, really major setback, a game changer for for our family, for everything. So, I think that if that season was just just me riding on fumes, um extremely emotional situation, and for me it it it, it definitely because I worked so hard on my shooting throughout my career. I feel like upon reflection. I almost wanted it too bad and because and cause I prepared myself so much I, like in the games it was I almost put too much pressure on myself and my senior year the way I looked at it was you know what my challenges of you know trying to make shots and struggling with that are, are minuscule compared to what my family's dealing with what my father's dealing with it and it definitely grounded me and put that in perspective and said you know what just go out there and, and do what you've done for years and trust that the shots are going to go in with, with no worries. Um, and the separation there, the court was a sanctuary for me. It was a challenging time. My, my sister left her, uh, left school to to be a caretaker for my father. And he was in California. I was in Michigan. It was, it was definitely a big challenge for me. And I am, I am grateful for, for great teammates and coaches. Kate Felder told me, He's going to punch me in the face if, if he passes it to me and I didn't shoot the ball. So, you know, that's the ultimate boat of confidence. And he, he, he knew he wanted to average 10 assists a game. So he was like, hey, Max is coming off the screen. If he has confidence, let me throw it to him. Coach Campy told me, you know, he, t- he would say it throughout, throughout the games, you know, Max can't take a bad shot. So he gave me ultimate confidence. Kay Felder gave me ultimate confidence. And it really I mean, that senior year was the, the pinnacle of everything I worked for. And it was it was a really, really special year for me.
1: And you and your sister actually were recently able to give the first Chip Hooper Award at the Billboard Music Awards for people that don't know your dad was uh, an agent, a music agent for, for a long time. What was that experience like for you? And uh, if you don't mind, you know, what is the award honor for, for people that may not know?
2: Yeah, that was that was actually 2 years in the, in the in the in the making. We worked on that for quite a while. We going back and forth with the people at Billboard trying to coordinate that. Yeah, my father was um a music agent in the in the music industry for many many years and he he represented acts like Dave Matthews Band and Fish. He um so he had a a, a lot of people who who knew him in the music industry and and they wanted to recognize his his work and his honor his legacy so that award actually honors a a specific young professional who's excelling and has you know a promising young professional essentially so someone performing well in the industry and it um it actually turned out that this this year the award honored um one of the young employees who worked for my dad back in the day so it was a really special experience my sister and I got to go down to LA and she gave a speech. I presented the award and I hope, I'm hope I, I am able to do it for years to come. It was really, really special and meant a lot for not only our family, but for the the music business family, all the people who know my dad, it really meant a lot.
0: Uh, that's really something special. That's amazing. Um, and, and just to wrap this first part of the interview up, and then we're going to take it to a couple segments. I kind of want to know, you know, your career goals, but I think more importantly for, you know, a person in your position, what you're pursuing right now, how are you goal setting, you know, to reach those goals? How are you preparing yourself and goal setting?
2: I was a goal setter throughout my entire career and, and a lot of them I focused, I don't know if the wording makes sense, but people, I always focused on process goals. So I was focused on, you know, how do i want to improve on xyz i want to get better at getting open off screens i want to get better at shooting off the dribble i want to get better at um making the right play and some of those are subjective so i wouldn't put myself oh i want to shoot 46 percent from three or i want to average 15 points a game i never did anything like that but it was always processed so where i'm at now i mean the ultimate ultimate goal for me is to be a college or NBA head coach, and I know those are two completely different paths. But I'm kind of at a I'm at a point where I don't necessarily have to choose to pursue one or the other. So I'm bold with it. I definitely want to be a head coach. Um, that's where I want to be one day. And in terms of coaching, I think I just need to set the goal of being having a full time job in this coming off season in the whether it's the NBA or in college. That that be my Most immediate goal is to have that, and and, well, first and foremost, it's to get a great start at Brewster. Yep, um, coaching at Brewster, and then the next goal would be to have a full time job, whether it's college or the NBA. So that's where I'm at with that right now.
1: All right, so let's go into coach speak, and this is usually when we have former players on. One of the things we want to do, rather than giving them quotes, is is talk a little bit about coaching styles that worked for them and what didn't work for them. So I'll start, and I guess you know. Max, what worked best for you as a player? You know what style do you think you responded to the best? You 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 played for some interesting characters
2: for sure. So, you know, what what do you think was the best coaching style for you? Yeah, it's funny you say characters. I I I played for Steve Lavin at St. John's and he was uh you know, his TV personality, um commentator and all that right now. That's he is he is big on the, you know, he loved to talk and practice. He would he would stop practicing talk for 15-20 minutes and great knowledge great uh added a lot to the practices but and that was a great experience so but my my best experience was with coach campy at oakland and any any oakland players on here will probably laugh because oakland uh, great campy's he is intense he is very intense he really gets after you and coaches you hard but for me what worked best was my senior year, I was dealing with a lot, and I don't know if that was the reason or if Campy just trusted me. He he really didn't. He really didn't speak to me much. Frankly, <laughs> it's almost funny. Like he just kind of had a hands-off approach. He's like, you know what? I know Max is working on his game. I trust Max is working on his game. I know he's going to make the shots, and I know he's going to do what he's coached to do. So he kind of took a hands-off approach and just kind of. Let me do what I do, and and it really worked out well for me um, because i'm, I'm um, I, I, as a player, I always thought the game and really tried to have that coach's mentality to the game, so I don't think cussing me out or getting in my face and challenge me was going to be the most effective thing. but if you just just throw out the tidbits, you know throw out the teaching points, the knowledge, I think I would digest it, and ultimately, it ended up working out really well for I think both of us because he didn't have to spend energy you know, cussing me out, screaming at me for certain things. He could put that more on freshmen, you know, guys who really need to be taught the habits. And for me, I was just able to just play freely and operate on my own.
0: Yeah, that, that's kind of interesting you say that, and it's an easy kind of segue, but can, do you think coaches can do, overall coaches, and I don't mean to put them in a the box, but do a better job coaching to a player's specific personality? And could that be like a shortcoming in coaching right now?
2: I think that's an interesting question because I've, as I'm getting into coaching now, I'm kind of reflecting or I'm kind of looking like, you know, how am I going to go about this? You know, is is it just going to be a cookie cutter, you know, a mold where you, you know, everyone gets treated the same. I don't care if you're averaging 30 points a game or you never play, or is it going to be kind of that psychological approach where how am I really going to get to know this kid? intimately, get to understand, you know, what he's about, what his his motivations are. And I think there's definitely some to that, whether it's personality, whether it's I think you gotta know where a kid comes from um, to be able to coach him the best. You gotta understand what makes him tick, what makes him go, what gets him out of bed in the morning. Um, If you're having issues, you know, with a kid not working hard enough in practice, you got with a kid not able to comprehend the defensive concepts, I think you got to look at the root of those things and think, okay, why is this happening? You know, what, uh, what's going on with this kid or what, what can I do better as a coach to appropriately address him? So I think definitely addressing the personality is important. I've never done it. I've played basketball 22, 23 years. I've never coached basketball once.
0: You know, I've never it's, coached. It's harder. It's harder than it sounds to get inside a player's head. It takes a long time because you think sometimes you think you might know. Like how, how they're going to react to a situation, then they react the total opposite. It can be like a day to day thing. And I'm not some great coach or anything, but I think that's what every coach kind of goes through. Like you said earlier in the podcast, trial and error a lot of times. Then you start to figure out, okay, they respond to this, they respond to that. And I always feel like it's good to coach different guys different ways. In my opinion, can't do that all the time, but. Uh, A lot of times, I think
1: that really. Well, I think it's easier to do as a younger guy. One, you've been in their situations more recently, but two, you know, as a head coach or an older assistant, I think it's difficult to do it because you have so much other stuff to worry about. But when you're the young assistant on staff or the video guy or the ops guy, whatever you may be, you know, you're the guy that's kind of. You know, Greg Campy goes off at practice, Drew Valentine probably pulls you aside. It's like, hey, coaches, you know, he, he is who he is. Like we have a ton of confidence in you. Like sometimes that's just how it goes, As the young guy smalls, right? Like that's how I feel. Yeah. I always felt like that was one of my better roles as a GA and an ops guy was to be able to kind of, you know, I'm twenty five and I had some beers last night too. You know, I know what it's <laughs> know a little bit what it's like. <laughs> and so I think like that's the part where it is it's exciting too. I agree with you. But yeah, it is trial and error, and it's you have a better opportunity, I think, Max, to be able to be that guy, you know, because you know how you probably dealt with different assistants would be my guess, right? Like you remember what it was like to have closer relationships with assistants because head coaches just have too much to worry about.
2: Absolutely, I remember. Yeah, and I remember the and the negatives. You know, the things that worked and didn't work, and and those were for me. So I'm not like every other player. I don't come from the same background, and not every player comes from my background. So. It's I think I'm gonna have a long path of learning that ahead, but it's something that I'm excited about and I think especially getting started at the high school level because I'm really going to be able to I'm not gonna be you know on the very very lowest of the totem pole. There's only three coaches. there's a head coach, an assistant coach, and then there's me. so I'm gonna really be able to get hands on and I think it'll be a really good learning experience to see how they respond to me and how each kid. Is their own unique individual.
1: uh Last one from us and Coach speak and we we have to ask it. We asked Alex Barlow and we asked Drew Valentine, but y- you did play for Greg Campy. He is, you know, coach with pink hair. I think already this year, he is not a guy that is worried about what other people think. But we would love if you have any great Greg Campy stories. You know, something funny about him maybe that that people don't
2: know. I, I have two for you, and they're they're pretty they're pretty good to me. So. um as as I've said throughout the podcast, Coach Campy really gets on you, and so so listeners might be like, "All right, what does that mean?" Basically, what that means is if there's any like, as the second the game starts, anyone can get cussed out at any moment, and people might think, "Oh, you know, he's this terrible guy. He's he's the greatest guy in the world. Ever. all the major, pretty much every player who plays for him, you know, really really respects him." and loves him at the end of the day but that's his style and he that is how he exudes his passion and he he just wants to win more than anyone so he wants to make his impact known so basically if the ball is tipped anyone on the court can get cussed out at any time so with that being said sometimes sometimes that's that's not the best way to deal with things so some some guys get mentally you know They might be whether they're mentally just not able to handle it or whatever. So, uh, partway through my junior year, he's really, really ragging on guys, and 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 it's affecting players. And he's he's finally noticing it. He's like, "All right, this is just how I operate." So, if anyone isn't liking getting cussed out right now, or getting yelled at, or or anything like that, just say "Mayday" in the middle of the game. You can just say (laughs) "Mayday," and he'll stop yelling immediately. Um, I don't know if if this is a long term strategy or if this was like a one or two game thing. So, with that being said, we're playing Valparaiso. I believe it's the my junior year 2014-15 season first game of the conference season. The tip goes up, Valpo wins the tip, and they're they're picked number 1 to finish in our league that year and it's our first uh first conference home game. So, big atmosphere, really good game. Uh they got Alec Peters, you know, who at the time was a future NBA player. We have Kay Felder, we have myself, we have Corey Pichos, we have a lot of good players. First play of the game, Kay Felder—I don't remember what he does—somehow gives up an open look and Campy, start- yeah, but they miss it. We get the rebound. Campy starts ragging on him. Blah 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 blah. K Felder, first play of the game, Mayday runs down on offense, ISOs scores a bucket and comes back smiling, laughing at the bench. So I mean, I just think that's pretty funny. I don't know of any coaches who would offer that out I I think that's I think it's awesome like I think it's so great that he
1: recognized like hey I need to maybe back off a little bit but I don't I I don't want to take it away from myself but if somebody has the comfort to say that to me that he would back off I
2: think that's awesome and I think he kind of invited it as like he doesn't like when people just submit to him he likes the people who you know fight back and not that you need to get an altercation with him, but he wants players to have their own opinions. He wants players to stand on their own two feet and not just be, you know, accepting just getting just getting reamed on. So I think he liked that, and and Kay definitely I, had no lack of confidence, and he, he was he was bold in himself. So I don't know <laughs> if that was a uh, a long term strategy or just a one or two game thing, but it it worked out and we won the game. Hey, we won the game, so. For him, he just wants to win. And I do have a second Greg Campy story. Let's do uh, it. I if you don't it. mind. So in college basketball, I think the way it works is you get X amount of hours to practice in the summer. And I think the way it worked out, we were either going one or two days a week.
1: yep eight, um, eight, eight hours a week, two hours on the court. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So it's pretty limited, you know. Um, so in the summer, my first summer there... And I'll, I'll preface this by saying, so I, I played at St. John's and played about nine, ten minutes a game and really wasn't a focal point of the offense. Um, I, I, If I got a shot, you know, if it went in, I'd play a little more. If it didn't, I was pretty much done for the game. So that, that was my role is purely catch and shoot. Um, but then I come to Oakland University, who just graduated Travis Bader, the uh the, the leader in NCAA and threes made all time, 504 career made threes. Um, I think his senior year he hit, uh, I want to say it's 147 threes. So you got to be a flamethrower to do stuff like that. And that was, that was the role I was rec- recruited to replace. So I come into, it was either the first or second. It was very early practice. Um, And Kay Felder passed me the ball. I kind of bobbled it and couldn't get my shot off. And I end up, I don't know what I did, just swung it around or dribbled a couple times and passed it. And Campy stops the practice. And, you know, in great Campy fashion, um, I recruited you for one fucking reason. I didn't recruit you to dribble. I didn't recruit you to pass. I didn't recruit you to rebound. I didn't even recruit you to defend. If you're open, you have to shoot the ball. Otherwise, you'll never be able to play at Oakland. That's the one reason I recruited you. So I mean, um, and th- that's just how he rolled. You know, that's what he believed in. Um, that gave me confidence. I mean, I never got cussed out for not shooting before that. So it was uh, it was awesome. I was like, hey, this is awesome, man. I just need to embrace this and welcome this situation. Um, and I think for people listening, it, he's not telling just people to chuck up the ball. You know, he's telling. He knew the work I'd put in on my shot. He knew what I invested in. And he, that was him honoring that work, I think. That was him honor- and respecting that. Um, so that just made me excited. I, I thought that was a pretty funny story.
0: Yeah, that that's awesome. And uh, yeah, confidence, that's something that you've had and you have to have as a shooter. Now, you're super confident in the city review. You even said before this, I don't want to do California, Smalls. I don't want to do California at all shut up smalls i want to do nashville i want to go toe-to-toe with tyler and tell him all the best places in nashville so city review you're taking us to a weekend we got three restaurants two bars one activity in nashville let it rip baby yeah i this
2: is yeah you know you um tyler you like you live in nashville so you can definitely call me out on whatever but my girlfriend uh was in living in nashville for the past two years just moved out of the area but we did a lot of uh restaurants a lot of uh activities a lot we went to a bunch of bars too um so first and foremost restaurant um this one this was actually the first restaurant she ever took me to in nashville but it's in germantown and it's called fifth and Taylor. (laughs) Um, this
1: is a this is a high level city review, Smalls. He knows good spots right away. First one he goes to he knows the neighborhood. Fifth and Taylor's awesome. Sorry, go ahead, Matt. Right.
2: Yeah, no, okay, good. See, I got resounding reviews. Um Fifth and Taylor, it's just it's just I mean, you can't order a bad thing on their menu. It's a little upscale, but I don't think it's too outrageous. It's not too outrageous. It's um definitely I mean all the restaurants the majority regardless of what style it is, they're all southern comfort food of some sort. Um, but it's just, man, you can't go wrong. They got great apps. Any of the entrees are good. I've even had brunch there. So I love fifth and Taylor. And if I was to tell, if I had one restaurant to choose in Nashville, it'd a hundred percent be fifth and Taylor.
1: Smalls, they're the type of place where they have a pretty, they have a pretty big cocktail menu. But if you just went up to the bar and you just said like, Hey, I want something with this type of bourbon. And these are the flavors Sweet. I like. They'll just make you. They're
0: going to throw, yeah. throw some together and it's going to be awesome. A hundred percent.
1: Uh, they got it it's true. and the, the the inside of the restaurant super cool open yeah it's a, you would like that place small so it's See, like, i, love, I love that
0: when you can yeah when you can just say listen man uh like i'm looking for like a good rye whiskey drink and he's just like listen i got this little uh little like buttermilk old fashioned that i'm gonna put together <laughs> with you Go with a little rye whiskey <laughs> that's what i'm talking about and that's what makes me excited so good start max i like it. okay
2: and number two is a uh, the second one I have is it's in 12 South and it's called Urban Grub, um, but it's uh it's definitely Southern comfort food. And it's funny this restaurant like it's a big restaurant, but it doesn't have a a name on, like it doesn't have the words on, that it yeah it's a restaurant.
1: nothing on the front of it. It just looks like kind of like a wooden lodge. It's it's really yeah, upscale exactly. place too. Like but there's nothing on the yeah. front of it that says Urban Grub. There's just a valet out front. Yeah,
2: exactly. It's yeah, it's 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 more upscale than Fifth and Taylor, but um I guess I guess, you know, my girlfriend takes me to the fine dining spots. <laughs> but um it's it's a really good spot. And it's good for like um they have like fire pit uh tables where the, the the table surrounds like a whole fire pit. So we did we did like a group dinner there, which was pretty awesome. Um and it's in the and it's in a great area in twelve south. And my last one, this one is just um classic steakhouse you know big time steakhouse cane prime um Mm -hmm. so
0: what kind of steak do you order max just curious i usually just
2: keep it simple like new york strip um and i don't eat much steak it's just but if i go to a steakhouse like that i have to we
1: we did uh we did cane prime on our first wedding anniversary and uh it was that
2: type of place for sure
1: like small i don't know if you're a marrow bone type of guy (sighs) unbelievable Uh, homemade toast like roasted garlic they upsold me a uh, Wagyu ribeye when I was there, you know, not to, not to throw out what, you know, social or economic bracket, Max Smalls and I are all in, but, uh, it was, it was an expensive cut of meat, but it was really, really good. That place is awesome. The service is amazing.
2: Yeah. It's expensive for, for anyone, but, but the one, the appetizer that I got, this is, I never heard of this dish before, but it was a cotton candy, uh,
1: cream corn. bacon.
2: Oh, cotton candy bacon. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's awesome. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It's indulgent, let's say. And then yeah. they
1: they have their their like marquee side dish is uh, creme brulee, creamed corn, and it, it, mm-hmm. it's like it's so sweet. It's I, I didn't love that one. The cotton candy bacon is fantastic. Actually, my wife is apparently I'm talking really loud because my wife just texted me and said, "Don't don't front. You are not in the Wagyu ribeye socioeconomic."
2: <laughs> I love <laughs> she it. You're talking it. about it.
0: <laughs> Hey everybody, my Venmo's open. If uh, I want to get some wagyu buy so I'll throw that. <laughs> what, do you, out there. what do you got?
1: Uh, what do you got for bars, Max? You brought it pretty heavy with the restaurants. You know what you're talking about there, so I gotta,
2: I gotta think your bar scene is gonna be pretty good. Well, it's funny because like people listening to this, like I really don't drink at all. You know, I don't, I don't drink alcohol at all. So people listening to this are probably laughing. Um, like if people are asking me about bars, but. I'll say, you know, positive about my girlfriend, you know, she's dragged me out, you know, made me a little social, <laughs> um, and enticed me to do certain things. So, but I, now I do enjoy, you know, a solid glass of red wine or something like that. But anyways, um, people will get a kick out of that. But the bar that I really liked that she took me to, one of them, the first one was, uh, Kung Fu. Oh yeah. Kung Fu Saloon. Um, yep. I forget the area it's exactly in. Mid- but it's, Midtown. Uh, Midtown. Midtown. Yeah. They got all the, um. All the games out there, and um, they got all the skee balls, kind of like karaoke. Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a fun spot. Go hang out. um And they got the, the outdoor section, the indoor section. It's just a fun spot. I'm I'm not necessarily the best to evaluate bars because I haven't really dabbled too much in it. But that I love that one. And then there's another one. I'm not sure how well known it is, but it's called um, it's called Old Glory. It has like a a hidden entrance. Um, it's like behind this restaurant. Uh, I forget what area that one's in too, but it's like a really uh, pretty small, dark setting, and the seating's pretty cool in there. Um, my girlfriend says the drinks are great, so <laughs> um, those are my two for bars. Love
0: it. Give us an activity, baby. Yeah, Old,
1: old Glory's like a music row speakeasy. That's a that's an off the beaten path one. So for Nashville listeners, yeah. old, old Glory is. I have never been there. I, I have heard of it, but. I've never been there but that's a good, that's a really good pull.
2: Yeah, and and the, the the door is like it's like on the back of a restaurant but you can't even like it's not labeled nothing like you have to uh she knew where to go. I just went with her, so <laughs> with my girlfriend. Um activities, I, I actually have two, but the first one and these are these are my girlfriend's she, she puts together all the itineraries, she plans all so I just go wherever she says. Um <laughs> we did zip lining, which was pretty cool it was right outside of Nashville. It was in North Nashville, I want to say. We did ziplining up there and I'm definitely afraid of heights, but I was peer pressured into it and I loved it. So that was really fun. You know, pop out there for an afternoon on a weekend or something. And then she also planned out to go to um, Arrington Vineyards, which is down near, I think it's in franklin yeah it's
1: yeah it's down in franklin so Kix brooks owns arrington vineyards big time country music guy so that's a real popular mm-hmm. place
2: yeah it's like a cool place get a get a bottle of wine and get some snacks and sit out there picnic so it's it's pretty cool Smalls, it's they, really
1: they cool. have a great cheese plate out there great oh. cheese plate charcuterie oh charcuterie yeah it's a real <laughs> cys uh type of uh Snack yeah, while you're man, drinking red man, wine.
0: pinkies in the air, no question about <laughs> it.
1: All right, let's. Uh, that one, Max. I'm impressed for a guy who's not a, a Nashville native. You, you know some really good spots. I got it. Where is your girlfriend? uh Is she in the music business?
2: I'm just curious. She's not. Uh, uh, she's an educator. She worked. She was a fifth grade teacher in Nashville for two years. She was going to some good spots.
1: Fifth grade teacher salary down there <laughs> really paying the bill That that she, she wasn't doing anything else.
2: That's that's what she was doing. Oh man.
1: Alright, let's roll into 10 touches, 30 second Ravage Fire. Uh as always, I got the first five. Max, who's the funniest person you've ever played with?
2: Hands down, and this is not even remotely a question, it's Jakar Sampson. Um, my teammate, my roommate at Brewster Academy, my roommate at St. John's. Man, he's one of a kind. He's he's I mean, his if you Google it, his nickname is SpongeBob Samson. So he's like the biggest SpongeBob fan. And Mind you, this is a 6'9 NBA player with tattoos up and everywhere, you know, like who can pretty much dunk with his chest. Um, just love SpongeBob. His, his dorm room at St. John's in our apartment was floor to ceiling, all four walls, SpongeBob uh, merchandise, blankets, puppets, uh, sweaters, hats, socks, pants, you name it. Everything SpongeBob. He even t- he even uh, tattooed SpongeBob on his arm. Um, he's he's just SpongeBob through and through. Um, when I met him at Bruce, this is more than thirty seconds, but uh, <laughs> when I met him at Brewster Academy, he uh, he was seventeen, probably about one hundred um, and seventy-five pounds, six nine, and he he and I always talk about it because he always makes fun of me. I was wearing like a college shirt. And uh, he said I had cargo shorts on. He said I had my shirt tucked in like and this was as a high school kid. Like he's like, man, this guy's he said he looked at me and was like, man, this guy's like a nerd or something like I'm going to have to play with this guy, live with this guy. And then like after the first open gym, he was like, okay, I understand what's going on. But we always joke about it. Like he was this goofy kid, you know, SpongeBob, all this. And then I was the one with the shirt tucked in. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) I don't I don't know if I was that big of a nerd, but that that's that's. He's got to be the funniest guy I ever played with.
1: Uh, How about your worst travel experience uh, on the the basketball court, like as a member of a team?
2: Yeah, it was my senior year. We were going to play Colorado State, and we were at the Detroit airport leaving Oakland. I think we were there for 12 hours, I want to say. It was was just a brutal, you know, just a winter delay. Nothing too crazy about that, but the reason why it's funny is because the, our coach, Coach Campy, asked us, you know, if we have to travel tomorrow, would you guys want to travel the day of the game and play? And pretty much everyone was like, "No, we don't want to do that." You know, we try to reschedule the game. And I was like, "No, I need to play." Like, I wanted to play every game of my senior year. You know what I mean? I was like, "No, we have to go. We have to go." And everyone's like, "It's going to be terrible." You know, if we travel the day of the game. We're going to lose for sure. I'm like, "Dude, I have to play every game. Like, I'm not missing this game." They're like, "Don't worry, don't worry. Get figure it figured out." Ultimately we got out, we were able to play the game as scheduled, but I was like having a nervous breakdown, like I can't miss a game of my senior year.
1: We did that once at Temple. Like we were going to Buffalo and something was wrong with the charter and we couldn't leave the night before, so we just took the charter like nine AM. it was I think it was a Wednesday game. It was during winter break, which is why it was more possible obviously, but we just took the charter up that morning, stayed at a hotel for like three hours so guys could like get off their feet, had pregame meal like we normally would and then just went right. Like we drove from the airport to shoot around and then went to the hotel, had pregame meal and then drove, played the game and flew back. And honestly, it really wasn't that bad. Seriously, it really wasn't. But it was like so different, you know, because you're just used to having time to be in a hotel, get a good night's sleep, mm-hmm. you know, but getting your routine. Yeah,
2: exactly. What? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to finish that off. At Oakland they told me they did that the year before against Indiana and lost by 30 at Indiana. So we weren't allowed to do
1: that. <laughs> what uh what TV show are you currently binging? You've had some time probably on
2: flights and, you know, maybe buses or trains. What have you been watching? Um I haven't gotten into something new, but for me it's always going to be just just always The Office and Parks and Rec like pretty much I'm consistently watching them through them and then once i get to the end i just start over and just keep going i just keep going through them i probably watched them at least five times each but it doesn't get old for me and then
1: I'm the same way with parks and rec in the office for
2: sure parks and rec
1: i can yeah, watch every
2: are, episode just a million times they're always funny they're just on a on a. they're just a broken record for me at this point but um i've also this is this is not tv shows but it's just i just binged the um all the harry potter movies almost in a row not in a row but in like 2 weeks I watched them all so
1: what uh what's the best game you've ever been
2: a part of I'm going to have two answers for you cuz the best atmosphere I was in we lost <laughs> so that can't be the best game but the best atmosphere was uh my senior year Michigan State versus Oakland at the Palace in Detroit and Michigan State was the number 1 team in the country at the time um so it was a it was technically a home game for us because the palace was close to our campus, but it was eighty-five percent green. Uh, Michigan State fans screaming, screaming down your throat the whole game, but they we lost a heartbreaker in overtime and in what would have been a a you know program altering win, uh, you know beating the number one team, the local team. So that was a great atmosphere, but we lost. So I can't necessarily say that was the best game. Then. Later, my senior year in January, we had lost a couple games at home in conference, so we really need to get back on track. And we went on a two-game road trip to Milwaukee and Green Bay, and we needed to win those games in order to be have a chance in the conference tournament or in the conference standings at the end of the season. And I, I went—I'll say those are the two greatest games I was a part of because I combined those games sixteen for twenty-four from the three over two games. So that was just that was a special back to back game run for me. What's the
1: uh what's the best gym to shoot at? Like what's a gym where you knew you're going to play and be like all right, I know I'm going to make shots here. I've heard people say MSG to be honest
2: Max, but what's the best shooters gym out there? I've heard of MSG. I didn't get enough of minutes there to 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 um to prove or disprove that. Um I'll say Oakland. Just just biased, you know. Um we we do have the Blacktop court. I don't know if you guys have seen the Oakland court on TV. It's pretty sweet. Um, and it's intimate. It's only forty-one hundred people. I want to say, um and just our fans really get into it. They're really passionate. They and and the thing about our fans at Oakland, they know the game. So if we're playing bad, you know, they're going to let us know. They're going to call us out and let us know. So I really appreciate them.
0: What's your favorite and least favorite practice drill?
2: Favorite, favorite would have to be some sort of scrimmaging. First of all, I love because I just love playing, but. First of all, it would be like a three on two, two on one drill. Um because I just shoot threes on it. You just you
0: just <laughs> run to a corner lift from the weak side
2: and you're just back. Man man. <laughs> man, it's just the disadvantage and I'm just like, dude, everyone's running for layups. I'm just gonna stop right here. <laughs> and and can Camp, coach Campy encouraged it. Like yeah, he, yeah. he just wanted me to do it. So I love that. And least favorite, I mean I worked my butt off defensively throughout my career, but it was always, it was always my, you know, my the thing that my Achilles' heel, I guess. I, I did everything I could. I used use film. I used all that, but my feet just aren't that quick. You know, I worked my butt off at it, but it was it just is what it is. So <clears throat> probably pick and roll defense or something like that, where I'm like. The whole team's watching, and it's like, "All right, Max has got to do it right one time, and we'll move on (laughs) it." And I just mess it up like six times in a row, not because I I know what I'm doing. I'm just telling my feet; they're just not quite getting over it quick enough, and I don't know. It was it's almost embarrassing, but then then again, my senior year, you know, Greg Campy was like, "Hey, you're here for one reason." So yeah, that made (laughs) you feel better.
0: What's your pregame routine?
2: I was pretty simple about that um just eat and then I I would go through the same sort of shooting routine and you know make make a certain amount of shots here certain amount of shots there but it wasn't anything overly OCD I was I was OCD about my practice routine you know my shooting routine but nothing nothing too crazy crazy
0: best shooter we don't know about
2: who is we? By the way, I mean, the two of us, I guess. We,
0: I mean, we I
1: probably know. Me and Tyler, I, You guys, know
2: the people. You guys, know your stuff. I probably stuff, know every stuff. shooter out there.
1: But yeah. for you, yeah. well, for you, Max, underrated. like, yeah, for you, Max, like, how about underrated guys? Like, you just knew, like, they were in the scouting report. Oh, like they can really shoot it. Yeah, I
2: got two. One is one. He's in the NBA, Troy Daniels. Um, but you know, the, the, the casual fan might not know much about Troy Daniels, but. I've actually worked out a handful of times with Troy. We've had some epic shootouts. Um, and he can, I mean, he can just let that thing rip. He's, he, he got his contract because he can make shots.
1: He had super deep range in college too. If you weren't paying attention, exactly. like he would fly off screens at BCU, and like, you'd think like, all right, he's at 28 feet. And like, if your hand wasn't there, like that shit was going up.
2: Mm-hmm. Super confident guy. Works on his craft religiously. Um... Is a good man off the court, family man off the court. And, and he's a guy who came out of school and took a bet on himself. He went to the G league and I think he went to, he went to RGB and, yeah. and uh, Nevada Smith, you know, let him shoot anything. I think he shot 13 threes on average per game that year. So he built his career that way. And now, and now he's made a five, six year NBA career just off being a catch and shoot guy and knowing his role. And then I'll go a little bit deeper into the this this guy's um a guy I didn't even know of him until I played for the Westchester Knicks in the G League. I played with him there. This guy, Devondrick Walker. Um, he came in second in the NBA G League three point shootout. And he was a guy who had no scholarship offers coming out of <clears throat> no D one scholarship offers coming out of high school, played D two at um I don't even know the name of this. He played for he um,
1: played for our guy, uh, Jarrett von Rosberg smalls. Yeah. He played at Texas AM oh, Commerce. Yes. AM Congress, Commerce. Baby. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. He played at Commerce. And then thought his career was over and went to three G League open tryouts, made a team, barely played his first year, barely played his second year, and then was G League most improved player of the year and then signed for a big contract in Italy this year. So he can really shoot the that's ball. a
1: good one max you're telling us we know under the radar guys like that's a really good pull devondrick walker because i would not that's not a good yeah i would think of i played with inside the
2: advantage
0: <laughs> <laughs> what uh what three players would you want to compete against in a three-point shootout let's say all-star weekend oh
2: man that is pretty legendary right there um number one is the guy who i've competed with every summer for the past four summers Meet Anthony Morrow. um, I I would travel down to Charlotte, North Carolina, and we work out. um, And he can just shoot the ball, man. He and he's the he's the probably the most competitive shooter I've ever shot against. Because if I was if I was if I was fortunate enough to beat him in any of the shooting drills, it was an automatic punt punt punted ball. The ball was getting punted for sure. Like the banners and lights, better watch out because the ball was getting punted the wall was getting punched like something was happening bad <laughs> but um he is an ultimate competitor and he he, he made it to the nba three-point contest um and he he had a great career so ultimate respect for amo and then after that it has to be my two idols um jj reddick and kyle korver um two guys who can i mean their resume speaks for itself korver nba all-star jj reddick 34 years old having his best best year yet. So I mean those guys who those, as a player, those were guys who I strive to be like and look towards every day. I
0: love it. We'll make it happen. Uh East Coast or West Coast? Man. Um
2: I'll go homegrown soil, you know, west, right, Coast. west Coast. Uh, but I I love them. Max,
1: who who did you uh who did you play AAU with out west?
2: Out west, I played for a team called EBO. Yeah, EBO. Yep. E- ebo and then i played for the new england players when i went to brewster academy ebo's got the got the kid uh jalen green right that kid's a truth they brought the team back they stopped the team for a while and brought it back and jalen green is a that stud. dude is yeah. that
0: dude is unreal yeah
2: he is really really <laughs> the, talented the
0: final one from us But well, you have two future podcast guests for us
2: i do and uh one of them i already brought up i think it would have to be anthony morrow um He's got great perspective. He made it as undrafted. His story coming out of school was he was signed to go play in the Ukraine. And then the Warriors had a guy um, drop from their free agent workout. And he was invited as an add-in. And then as the story goes, he didn't miss a shot for four months <laughs> and got a contract. So um, he he took it. He took it. He took the the path untraveled. He took the long way and ultimately had two big contracts, one with the New Jersey Nets, one with the Thunder and really made a ton of money, was really successful, had a, had a great career. So he'd be number one. And then just to keep it, just to keep it more, um, Modern, or not, not modern, but just, just a guy who's really, really blowing up right now, and who I had the chance to train with in Charlotte, North Carolina, this summer. Grant Williams, um, a Tennessee guy, he is. I mean, he's he's as good as it gets in in college basketball. I think we could debate that, but he's, he's one of the top five players in college basketball right now. And the funny thing is, he's he's a be- a better kid and a better human being. A really, really special kid, highly intelligent. Going to graduate as a junior this year, and he doesn't turn twenty-one until November of next year. So he's taking care of business. He's killing it on the court, doing great things. You know, getting it done academically, and just a really great kid who cares about those around. Yeah, we've
1: talked about him a little bit with. We talked with Chris Patola because when I was working at CFC, we were recruiting him, and I remember them saying like he was going to go to Harvard. Like that was because he was a really, really good student. Um, Yeah. Uh, All right. Parting shots, Same two questions to every guest. We always end with these. Max, what's the best advice you've ever been given?
2: It's simple for me. Um, my, uh, we talked about my father earlier on this podcast. Um, my father was an ultimate um, guiding force in my life, and and every night he and I had a routine before I go to sleep. He'd he'd say, we'd re- recite three lines. He'd say, "I believe in you." I'd say, "I believe in myself." He'd say, I believe in your dreams. I'd say, I believe in my dreams. He'd say, you're going to make them all come true. And I'd say, I know. So that's just like, that'll stick with me forever. Super impactful and just just basically empowering um, me to to do what I want and do what I love.
0: Super cool. Face-to-face with your 18-year-old self, what are you telling that person?
2: I'm going to say... Knowing what I know now, I'm gonna say, do what you do. Um, trust your work. Bet on yourself. You know, just just like don't. Just because you know what the, what the rap that I got my whole career. Oh, we love his shooting, but you know, but, but he can't guard. He can't mm-hmm. dribble. He can't do this. Just find someone who loves what you do and doesn't add the but, um, and who really believes in you as you are, not what they want you to turn into. That'd be my advice.
1: No, nice. I mean, good advice too. And we've talked about that a lot with assistants. Like, when do you just start recruiting guys for who they are and not who they aren't? Because you just tend to analyze, like, oh, he's really good. But you know, like you said, it's just always something else to try to convince yourself, like, hey, maybe this kid isn't good enough. But Max, we really. Yeah, think, oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I, I think, I think if guys don't have flaws to their, you know, I mean, guys who who are you know going to certain levels, they're going to have flaws in their game. Um. If they didn't, they'd be in the NBA already, you know, Um, it's you're not going to meet a player who's there's only one LeBron James, you know, you're going to everyone's going to have flaws to their game. And I think part of coaching is fitting all those strengths in together to mesh together and collectively to make those enhance those strengths and then hide everyone's weaknesses to the best of their abilities
1: uh well he is max hooper at max the hooper on ig or i'm sorry on twitter excuse me just all one word just like it sounds but max man we appreciate it and i'm i say this a lot but i am looking forward to see kind of what this next spring and summer and fall looks like for you as you've kind of taken this change in your life and you know we're going to be down to the final four so you're going to have to be down there networking so you got to come uh meet us out in Minneapolis and uh, say what's up because like I said, I want to hear how this year goes at Brewster and we're going to be following you in the future, but thanks so much for joining us. And I mean, I had a blast and talking shooters. Smalls and I will talk ball every day, so we appreciate
2: it, man. Absolutely. I'll be at the final four and excited about this Brewster year and, and definitely, definitely love to meet up and thank you so much for the time. I could talk basketball. We'd be here a long, long time if I wanted to keep talking so i appreciate you guys this time and thank you for having me on